welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, Will, for being a guest on my podcast. Right, thank you. Glad to make it out here. It's a little little drive, and it's a nice nice time out here today. So, so I recently came across a question that I thought we would just kind of plunge into things with because I like the way it was worded. I don't know if I remember it exactly, but it's something like, you know, what's the most important thing, you know, I need to know about you. Like, if someone were to ask you that question, how would you answer that? How how would we answer? The most important thing to know about us. About you. Okay, about me. Right. Okay, it would be, I know at the end of my life, I want to be able to sum up my entire identity and existence as a Christian in Christ. So I do want to know that. So everything I want to know, do and live my life is, is should be focused on Christ. And you should have been able, if you had watched me over the last, you know, several decades of my life, Hopefully that would have been the, the takeaway that you you see that and that should play out in, uh, you know, I believe our Christianity and my own personal faith should play out in my job, my family, you know, my friends, my hobbies, uh, work, school, school opportunities, every decision we make, I, I try to keep that focused on Christ. And uh, so some of the most important things to know about me is uh, I'm really upfront about my history, like the whole entire path leading up to become a Christian and, and put place my faith in Christ is a very defining, defining element for me. And, uh, it's usually one that most people don't want to, don't want to share too often, but I've been pretty, pretty upfront about, uh, kind of my past leading up to it. Um, I did came from a broken home. You know, I didn't have a father figure and my family was pretty broken when I was growing up. And uh, there, there's been a lot of lot of struggles going through there, you know, and up growing up through life. And eventually, you know, I am a veteran. I went to the military, so that has a little bit of play on on some of the stuff that leads up to to my Christianity. And and uh, you know, ultimately, I ended up I've done time in jail and and things like that. Very very rough upbringing, but all those things were 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 there to shut doors and open doors down a certain path that God wanted me to come to. Ultimately, I found Christ and, and got into my Bible when I was incarcerated. And uh, like the sum of my Christianity and my, my walk ended up in a jail cell. And it was the very, per- very place that I was supposed to be. The and, sum of your Christianity and walk. So you were a Christian before then? No, I was not. Oh, I see. Yeah, the sum of, of God working in my life led me up you. to that point. Right. Like that was the pinnacle, the defining moment in my life. And as much as I want to complain about anything that led me there, that was exactly where I was supposed to be in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, not following God's path, but still on His path that He had set out. And uh, a lot of my, a lot of the history of of what I've lived has led up to that. And uh, now I have to grow out of that and be coming to coming to Christ and uh, being a slave for Christ now also requires me to go back into there. And that's one of the things I find a lot of joy in is uh, being saved out of. You know, drugs, broken home, uh, crime, jail, prison, all that good stuff. Uh, now I'm, God's given me a heart to go back into that. So prison ministry in Christ is one of the defining things that I just love it. Like it always comes up in any conversation I have with anybody about anything. So, so were you familiar with Jesus and Christianity before that? 
was, I was familiar, but it, it was from, uh, I would say my, my grandpa, my grandfather, he lives uh, out in Farmington. I grew up out in Farmington and he was probably the only major influence that I could look back and say, Hey, that was, that was a, per, a man of God that was in my life. Um, wasn't around him a whole lot just because of, uh, the, we moved a lot when I was younger and, uh, he, he stayed in Farmington. So whenever we were out that way and life would fall apart for my mom, she would take us back out that way. And every now and then over summers and stuff, I'd spend time with him, go to church with him. Uh, ended up getting baptized when I was 12, hmm. Adam, but I didn't really know what it was, right? I was just with grandpa's that weekend and mm-hmm. mom and grandpa thought it was a good time to get me baptized. Did it. I remember it happening. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think it was salvific. Um, there was no faith in my heart for it. I didn't even know what it was about. Uh, since then, I have been baptized again, and fully aware of, of what that public profession uh, of death and burial in Christ and resurrection in Christ meant in that. So, so what I'm curious about is like, what do people who are outside of the faith think of the gospel and the faith? Like, do they like do they even know it, or do they not know it? I mean, do they know it and it just doesn't click for them, or um, do they not know it and um, and they just need someone to say, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Um, or do they kind of know that, but it doesn't even make sense to them unless they reach the bottom of their rope, so to speak, like right. you did, you know? Right. I would say, I think the biblical outlook on that would be that they don't know it. Uh, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. So they don't even know the content of I think the gospel. They don't know the content. I would say that they know that it is, but they don't know what it is. A lot of people are aware that there is Christianity and, you know, possibly even a Christ, but they don't know what what that is and what Christianity is about. And the idea of atonement, it's like that they don't even know what the cross, what the meaning of that is for a lot of people. Or the purpose, you know, if you don't think you have sins and think that you're a bad person, what's the purpose of atonement, Mm -hmm. right? So why would I need atonement if I don't think that I'm living an immoral life? Well, in that case, it could be that they know the content. It's just like it doesn't click for them. Like, what what does that mean? What I need that right. and so forth. You know? Right. Because you, you do hear people kind of talk about um, Jesus dying for their sins. Or that's, you know, that's like a common phrase. I mean, I, and I don't know if that means anything to them or, or not. Right. You know? So, so there, was a, uh, there was a video I was watching uh, some while back. And it was about this kid... I would say seven, eight, nine years old, something like that, and he's preaching, right? He's preaching. And I know in the past there have been people of that age preaching, but uh, I may have seen that. I saw something like that. You might have. And when, whenever he was approached about the meaning of what he right. was saying, he couldn't explain it. He and could his, just he could just parrot and echo back what he had heard through right. father, grandfather sitting there, a pastor. Um, right. So we can know the what you know. You can you can echo the words but still not know the the exact meaning behind them you know right yeah so i wasn't converted until i was 18 but i grew up in church so it's hard to believe that i never heard about jesus dying for my sin like surely surely i did i don't know but it didn't mean anything right to me i don't guess um i mean i remember knowing that i needed to believe right and i thought if i could just believe enough i'd read tracks and I would think if I could just pray this prayer at the end sincerely enough and believe enough, boom, something would happen. And that was all frustrating. Then I went on with my life and went 
fell into sin after sin after sin and came to the end and just asked God to save me from what I had become and who I was, you know. And, and then that's where I had an experience of God. Right, right. You know? At the end of the ropes type thing, yeah. yeah. So reflecting on your story, so mine, the way mine kind of took was, okay, I explained to you how I spent some time when I was younger, 12, 11, 12, mm-hmm. 13, that period of life. Bouncing in and out of my grandpa's house, going to church with him, got baptized and everything. Didn't understand what it was. I'd go to church for, you know, weeks and stuff at a time over the summer. Uh, I didn't get saved until I was incarcerated when I was 30. Oh, wow. So you have a, a span of, you know, 18 years there. You think there's a connection between your earlier experience? I've and- always wondered that. I've always wondered if there was some sort of, of a regeneration that happened back then and it just didn't manifest itself until maybe God had been working in my heart that entire time, but I didn't spiritually didn't, didn't grasp that until, you know, 18 years later. Uh, I've always wondered that. I don't have an explanation for that. Uh, but I have looked back on that time after being saved and wondered, how did I spend all those Sundays with my grandpa over the summer uh, when my mom would drop me off, you know, baby babysitting he my grandpa was the babysitter basically while she was recovering because my mom lived a pretty rough life too uh so we would always drop there while while hangovers were slept through and stuff for my mom and i always look back and i'm like how did i go to church all those sundays and i know that they were preaching the gospel but the spirit of this age blinded my eyes and deafened my ears so that i could not hear that message all those times I, i specifically remember thinking back and Knowing, like, I do not remember a single bit of the gospel other than a man named Jesus Christ, a cross, and a couple little Sunday school songs, maybe, and crafts that we right. did. And, right. Uh, and the Bible addresses that, how we are, you know, our eyes have been blinded, our ears have been deafened to, uh, to the message of Christ and the gospel. Right. And I re- even remember, like, altar calls and stuff about inviting Jesus into your life. Yes. And even thinking that was cool and trying to do that and so forth. But it, it didn't seem to mean anything besides just this little emotional thing right. I was doing. I, I think there was a connection, not so much like perhaps there was some kind of regeneration earlier, because I got baptized and everything when I was nine, but um, more of um, there were people in the church, one person especially, who just showed care and concern um, for us young fellows in the church. And um, and that kind of gave me something that made uh, Christianity attractive to me. So even though I was rebellious and, and going into sin and further into sin, at some point when I did reach the, the bottom of my rope or ladder, um, I did turn to God and um, ask him to save me because I was just disgusted with myself. And perhaps, um, you know, that influence um, caused me to think to at least do that, you know, at some point. So that's kind of how I think of, like, the connection in my own life, perhaps. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm trying to... I don't really... I think the the bigger part that played for me was the actual word, because... uh, Although there were influential people in my past, maybe at the church when I was attending, after that point, after that 12, 13-year age, there wasn't a whole lot after that. I do remember specifically along those 18 years or so, every now and then somebody would pop up, hey, let me tell you about Christ. I remember one one episode when I worked for a satellite installation company, one of the people I installed for, 
you know, in their house in a very intimate place, you know, in, in a person's home, this couple kind of, you know, you ain't got nowhere else to go. I'm there doing my job. I can't leave. I can't run off. Uh, and then they started to share the gospel and invite me to church for them and stuff. But I, I remember specifically at 30 years old, once I, you know, gave my life to Christ and, and asked him to save me from the fiery pits of hell I was walking towards. I remember those little road markers all over the place. People I would run into here and there that would say something about God, about church, about the gospel. I'd always brush them off at the time, but looking back, you know, hindsight being 2020, realizing that those were all little, they're, they're God's messengers along the way, trying right. to kind of, you know, shepherd you down the road. Right. Um, so were they a part of bringing you to that conversion or was it, well, they were a call, you didn't respond and it, and because you didn't respond, it really didn't make any difference whether they were there or not. Yes. The second option, okay. they didn't play at all. It okay. was just a hindsight 2020, uh, every single one of those instances I said no and walked away. Um, yeah. but God was active during those times. Um, and hmm. being saved now, knowing that we are supposed to be playing that role. Uh, with the people that we meet, you know, if I was to have somebody come install a satellite in my house now, would I be willing to share the gospel? How, who knows if that would that would be a moment in time that that person looked back on in ten years and remembered, hey, God, even though I walked away from it at that person's house, mm-hmm. God was trying to corral me into the right in the right direction, even though it didn't bear fruit at the time. Ten years right. from now, uh, it, the person can look back and be like, yeah, God has God has always been there with me. And I, I've right. been the one running. It wasn't him. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been chasing me down, putting people in my path, and I've been rebelling and running. Right. But you kind of want it to be um, somehow God, you know, using us uh, to draw a person in. So, like, what's your experience with that been? Like, you know, you, you want other people to experience what you have experienced. So how has that gone... Um, do you see that, uh, and what's that like, and so forth? I do. I do know God does want us to be a part of that, and He wants us to play in that. I think I believe John talks about it in one of his gospels, in one of his letters, when he's talking to the disciples, how our joy is made com- is being made complete when others also share in that joy and realize the riches and the glory that has been given to us through Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, our joy in Christ is made complete when we multiply that. Mm-hmm. When when the heart of this, or you know, the, the the flame of the spirit goes from one heart to another like a candle flame. Hmm. Uh, that is part of the joy. Is that is not just stuck in our own personal existence. That we get to share that with other people and be a part of it. Being a part of it is also part of the the joy of it. Not just seeing it happen in other people's relationships, but being able to spiritually reproduce for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a v- very big part. When I, any time I've done prison ministry, seeing the guys come out of there. Um, and completely turn their lives around. It's it's been one of those those moments when, like, okay, my my these are the most joyful times of my life. You know, mm-hmm. is sharing that with people who society has turned their back on, don't really have a whole lot more any other places to go, um, and be able to go into the prisons with them, and see them after they leave turn their lives around. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, there's a testing period there, you know, a year, two years. Sometimes you, it's hard to judge if if, if they're completely uh, sold out to God. Mm-hmm. But as time goes, three years, four years, five years down the road, um, those times are great. So, so you can't always tell just right at first. Oh, no. No, definitely yeah. not. 
Is there anything you try to keep in mind or have learned about evangelism so that, um, you know, it's more effective um, rather than just getting brushed off or something like that? Um, or is it, or is it kind of out of your hands? Yeah, I think that falls into the realm of God's sovereignty, um, but we still do bear, bear responsibility for our faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter whether or not we bear fruit in the moment, uh, God does say that we will bear fruit, but sometimes we try to judge our own effectiveness on a fruit that we can see, but sometimes we're not allowed to see the fruit. Sometimes it comes, you know, the seeds that we plant now might become fruit in somebody else's life ten, five, ten years from now. They might be the ones that get to bear witness of that. Um, so faithfulness is the biggest thing. Um, I believe it was Jeremiah was one of the prophets who God called to do stuff and, and, and you know, speak to his people. But he specifically told him, like, they're not going to listen. But you do you carry that message anyway. And you're going to be beat up and, and thrown in wells and all this other crazy stuff's going to happen. But you be faithful. So faithfulness is a, is the biggest one, and just knowing that God's sovereignty uh, oversees all that, and you're not going to change it, but you can play a part of it. So, where um, do you have the most opportunities for for doing that, like calling people to be a disciple? Is it in prison ministry, or is it in some of the other groups, or is it just in day to day life, or for you, you know, where where does that take place? So I would say two, the two main avenues right now that I can think of in my life would be in prison ministry. So being able to call those guys, even the ones that aren't, aren't coming home anytime soon, uh, they might. that's actually one of the primary ones is the guys who aren't coming home. I can't be at the prison every day, all day, right? Those guys stay there and they live there. So being able to call them and be disciples back in their housing units, mm-hmm. um, they have access to hundreds of more guys than actually show up to our class. We got 10, 10 to 15 guys that show up to our class, but they got hundreds of guys living with them. Mm-hmm. So they can actually carry that message and be disciples with other people uh, throughout the week. So even in that situation, sometimes I don't, you know, we're not able to see the fruit of that because some of those guys don't come into our classes. Um, but they're sitting in Bible studies throughout the week with these guys that are coming into our classes. So it's we get, we gather on a Saturday, maybe those ten guys, and then we scatter throughout the rest of the week, and they get to go back and help. You know, help you gather there. at the prisons. We gather, yeah, we gather on that Saturday. We got the class, the ten guys that come in there, and then for the rest of the week, those ten guys go back out into the prison, into their housing units, mm-hmm. where there's, you know, fifteen, fifteen hundred, two thousand more guys around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that's one. One avenue in my life for uh, discipleship, then the other one would be to the uh, the business ministry that I work at. So you're always we're always calling guys in the marketplace, whether that be in uh, sales, managers, accountants, uh, just anybody in the business realm. Maybe they're entrepreneurs, maybe they're in finance or any other realm of, of business to use to use their business connection and their networks to also spread the the gospel. So. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we do is as new guys come into their program and they want to they want to get into it and be we pair them up with another guy who's already been through it a, a Christian a mature Christian and then they meet one on one for sometimes two to three years and disciple that way mm-hmm. and we like to make disciples who make disciples and, and multiply um, so I would say at my work in the business discipleship and then on the weekends through prison discipleship would be the two areas that. 
and your work, like your employment type of thing, is through the uh, business groups, right? Yes, yes. Ministry coordinator there. Ministry coordinator, okay. Um, Are you familiar with F3? I am. I actually, I went to my first one about a month ago, uh, up towards me, up in up in South City, and it beat me up. <laughs> but it's awesome. I love that. I love the concept of it. I love the fellowship of it and the camaraderie that I think a lot of men are missing in this in our in our society and our culture now. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's become atomized and just isolated from each other. But that that F three kind of brings you out of this individual individualism state of frame and kind of yeah. pairs you up with a group of dudes who are going to, you know, in the context, you're only working out together, but, but building each other up, egging each other on to, to finish it and finish strong. Um, I have not been back yet again since then because it just shredded my legs, but it is one that I would, I am going to be plugging into. And there's a lot of guys at, at the place that I work that are in our ministry that attend that. And yeah, so it's, it's good leadership too. Like it builds good le- leadership and, uh, a sense of community leadership for men. So. Right. And it seems like a way to just get Christians in the mix with non-Christians because you got a pretty mixed group, I think. Right. You know. And um, my brother's in it up in St. Charles, and he's a part of a shield block. So it's like a part of F3, but you get together at a different time, you and just a few others, and it's just to stay up on each other's lives hold each other accountable and stuff, help each other, encourage it, stuff like that. So anyway. It's called a shield block. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't think I've heard of it. So Yeah, they have that. And then QSource. Down here, I hear them right. talk I've about heard QSource. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard QSource. So. Yeah. It's good. Um, so so you were in, the, when you were converted, you were in the, like the county jail? Was that- so I got, a, I spent a couple months in Jefferson County Jail and then got transferred to St. Louis County uh, to get sentenced on my, I had a probate. I was on probation when it happened. When I got re- reincarcerated, they violated my probation, and I had to get sentenced in St. Louis County. Did another year there. I never actually went to prison. Like okay. I did all county time. Um, yeah, which is sometimes even worse. That's right. <laughs> so I didn't get to go home for you know outside. I didn't even go go outside for a year or so. So um, never went, actually made it to the prisons. It was all county time, but. Yeah. Um, and then how were you reached? Um, was it through a prison ministry or just another prisoner or, or what? So it started with just an available Bible. Okay. Uh, as simple as that, just having a Bible there available. Um, they do have a lot of books in the prisons that you can read, spiritual books, and, and uh, they got a library in most prisons and jails or books floating around on shelves at, at like St. Louis County Jail. Um but those are oftentimes from places that Christians shouldn't be reading, like different heretical groups sometimes. Uh, okay. other, other books are kind of superficial theology. They don't go too deep. It's really shallow. Uh, so just being able to actually have the authentic word of God in a cell by yourself, everything in your, else in your life had just been cut off from you. There's you and the word of God sitting there uh, I took to, I remember reading nights, like through the night, completely through the night, multiple nights in a row. Wow. Just reading, just reading, reading. Like and, what uh, part of the... From the one one cover to the next. Okay, and wow. Just the whole thing. And, and, and even those Old Testament passages even were the interesting old, Yeah. <laughs> okay. Even those, you just read right through them, even though they didn't make 
a lick of sense at the time looking back on them. You know, once you when you get through the Old Testament and you start hitting the New Testament stuff, you're like, hey, I've read something about this before. And you flip back to the Old Testament and you're searching around for that. Oh, that's what that meant. And like it's this back and forth tag game between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Christ throughout the whole thing. <laughs> um, and the whole book's about Christ. The hero of the story is Christ. Mm-hmm. The enemy, the villain, you know, sometimes it was, you know, I placed myself in there. Everything that, you know, the, the negative in in the world was captured in my own heart whenever I was reading that thing. It, it, the, the word of God, you know, splits asunder to bone and marrow, mm-hmm. to the very sinews of our fibers of our life. And uh, it was almost like reading reading a story written by somebody who had been watching my whole life and describing mm-hmm. my heart evil heart desperately wicked above all else who could understand it hmm. uh, wow it was it was mm-hmm. yeah it definitely prescribed my my malady and prescribed the uh the fix and that was faith in god and then how did conversion come about like was it kind of just a click in an instant or was it not like that it i want to say well i remember the specific moment i broke down crying overnight just okay. bawling my eyes out and confessing like i mean i sat there for for a very long time just playing from the earliest things I could remember in my life and just kind of working up from that from the very like five years old and just kind of playing over in my brain trying to mm-hmm. confess this trying to confess that while I was sitting there on the cell on the floor of my cell and uh, you know not everybody has moments like that I guess for their salvation mm-hmm. um, and even even in that instance I never hit every you know never couldn't God still brings up things to me that I need to work on and that I had forgotten about uh, but it was definitely a, at some point, like, God saved me. Like, it was, it was the best time of my life. As weird as that sounds, to be in a prison and be saved. You know, hmm. yeah. the best time I've ever, the closest I've ever felt to God was in, incarcerated. Yeah. So, even looking back on it, like, it's... It's not necessarily like right now. It was like that time of conversion, huh? Even looking back on it, it was, yeah. I would, I joke around with some of my friends that I used to do, that I used to work with. uh, If I could go back and arrange some way with the people that run the prison to do that, uh, have you ever show, there's a show that uh, 60 days in where they take regular people from the outside and they put them back inside jail for like 60 days and they don't tell anybody about it and they just kind of see how it goes. I would love to be put back into the jails and just, live there knowing the Bible now like I do and be able to go back in and basically just preach the gospel and stay there. Like if I could find some way to <laughs> arrange a way to get thrown back into jail and hang out there for a while. You could probably I figure that out. I would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do it the illegal way. Right. But, uh, you know, when you go in every week, it's not that big of a deal, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, like when I think of a vivid experience with God, I think of my conversion. You know, yeah. I wish, you know, it, I didn't have to look back on like when did I really experience God. But anyway, I guess that kind of makes sense though, because it's kind of going from not knowing God, no spiritual life, to all of a sudden being having all of your guilt removed being just washed clean and a whole new world opening up. So I guess it just makes sense that, you know, that's the dramatic moment of one's right. life, you know. Right. 
And then sometimes I fear like that, that has been a fear in my own life that maybe I've lost that because of, you know, the worries of the world. Once you get released, mm-hmm. the worries of the world and life and work and family and job and all these other things start to pile you on and crowd, crowd got out. Um, so there's, there's a worry in that, but then there's also the positive side of it is, um, as you walk in your faith and you walk with God, like that, that initial conversion experience sometimes becomes more mature. So maybe we, we live out a more mature Christ likeness than that first emotional experience of salvation. So I try to try to balance it out like that. Mm-hmm. Half of me worries that I'm getting crowded, crowding God out with the worries of the world. The other half is, is uh, happy that maybe I'm maturing in Christ and being able to, to walk more mature. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, but there is a danger of being too busy, having oh, too yeah, many yeah, cares, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. too many running after too many things, and so forth. But um, well, why God? You know, like if someone said, um, you know, like a secular person said, you know, um, can't see God. You know, so why do you believe in God? Maybe you just had an emotional experience or something. I don't know. Like, do you? Um, do you look to the experience, um, or, or is, are there like uh, other reasons, historical reasons, or logical reasons for I'm for Jesus and my confidence is in Him and so forth? Right. So, definitely don't want to say it's the emotional experience. Okay. Um, it was nice to have that conversion experience and, you know, as a moment in your life to remember. Um, but our faith is not an empty faith and it's not a blind faith. Our faith is actually grounded in truth. Uh, the truth is expressed to us in the Bible. So our faith always needs to be based on the Word of God. That's our that's our standard for truth. It's not the emotional experience, uh, you know, because there's unbelievers. There's there's false teachers, false groups, false churches that that is the, the basis of their entire ecclesiology and their salvation story is emotional, you know, emotional, everything, the whole entire services are emotional. And, mm-hmm. uh, if they ever get into the scriptures, you know, uh, I would say that our faith is definitely based on historical fact, um, prophecy. So even before the historical existence of Christ himself as a historical Jesus in time and space, there is prophecy that led up to that. Uh, there was the witness of, the 500 and everybody, the, the disciples, the apostles, everybody who wrote the scriptures who were willing to die for what they said they saw. You know, I know if I was going to make something up about a quote unquote possible God and the moment that my neck got put on the line, if I was making that up, I don't think I'd be willing to, to die for it unless it was true. Mm-hmm. The apostles all were. Um, they, and they did. They, they, they died for the faith that they said they saw. Um, the resurrected Christ. And if Christ isn't resurrected, then our, our faith is in vain. So I don't think there's the emotional, we should not base our faith on the emo, any emotional experience that we've ever had, mm-hmm. but on factual truth uh, and the Word of God. So, Yeah. But the emotional, uh, that's a wrong way to put it. Like, But the spiritual experience with God, it means something, I think. It means like, it's not just we're reading in a book or just reasoning it out. Like we know God in some way and knowing God is, um, you know, knowing a person's experiencing and somehow. So So maybe, maybe the better word that we might want to use is maybe not emotional experience, but the 
the experiential experience or the relationship. There's an actual relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like you're reading the Bible and you're not praying to God and talking to God and listening to God and then responding to what he's saying. You can't say that you have a relationship with God. You know a lot about him, um, but right. you don't know him and right. he doesn't know you. So de- depart from me. That's the words that you don't want to hear. Right. To sit in church all day or not all day, you know, every week for the rest of your life and hear the word of God. And even if you read it, but you're not talking to him, expressing yourself and being a friend and a follower and a, and a servant of God, there is no relationship. I guess we could put it that way. So, um, you're, so the ministry you're involved in, it's out in the marketplace and what's the name of it? It is uh, called Legacy Builders Ministry. Okay. Legacy Builders, we, it started, uh, our executive director started it in January, and they officially filed all the paperwork and started it in January. So oh, we've been going, of this year? Of this year, yeah. Okay, but we're so a branch so. off from a previously one, previous ministry that had been going for decades and decades. So so is it like a, a split or like a, a branch? I, would, I don't know if I'd call it a split. It was a, a change of strategic focus, I would say. Okay. So as opposed to doing... Um, I don't know how, how what you'd want to call it. Instead of doing maybe like roundtables amongst entrepreneurs and how to incorporate biblical principles into your business, uh, we focus more on biblical discipleship, okay. if, if that makes any sense. So yeah. the actual one-on-one discipleship in small groups as opposed to roundtables between entrepreneurs and how to do my marketing biblically and how to do my sales biblically. It's more like a... It's more of a men's men's group as opposed to a a business focus, but it's two businessmen. So, right, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, well, um, what about? Um, I guess I ask people sometimes about just the relationship with God, routines, what helps you to grow. Um, so um, you kind of told me a little bit about your relationship with God right now. Like compared to conversion, you know, it's kind of more steady, uh, maybe more mature. Um, so um, anyway, what oh, what is that like? How... And like, do you have any routines? Like, how do you, what's going on in your life that causes you to grow anything in particular and uh, so forth, anything along those lines? So one of, I would say right now off the top of my head, like the most uh, upfront and center that I can tell you, because it's a new, new development in my life is we just had our daughter, me and my wife just had our first daughter. Okay. So, wow. so being able to uh, read the Bible together every night. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Even though I know my daughter doesn't understand a single word of it, but being able to sit there with me, my wife, and our kid and read the Bible, um, that definitely helps bring us together. So, uh, and you, there, there will be points in your Christian walk where you have to try desperately hard to avoid, avoid spiritual droughts. And I've had several of those in the last couple of years just uh, with life transitions and being drawn away from God and and staying away from God, you can feel it when you're out of the Bible for a certain amount of time and you're out of prayer for a certain amount of time. You can feel 
that absence of the spirit and that absence of that relationship and just everything just empty. Like you wake up in the morning, you wonder why I'm going to work. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Um, but, but having that opportunity to have our, our, our kid draw us back into that and read the Bible has been definitely beneficial. Um, journaling, I, I found a own little practical habit I've been doing lately is, is developing almost like a, a library of theology on my computer and different studies. And, you know, instead of just reading through the Bible, um, and closing your book and doing your devotional for the day, like get into some deep stuff, get into some, some historical theology and, and what the church is, you know, what's that theological term mean? What's this one mean? How do they, how are they the same? How does this church look at this certain theological doctrine? How does my church look at that theological doctrine? And then just start to, after you chase a couple rabbit holes for a couple months, you'll have this big old library of just stuff and, uh, you study to show your, to show yourself approved for the work that we've been called for. So there, there's definitely a relational part. There's a, um, a mental cognitive element of our relationship. So getting to know the actual Bible, um, not just the passages, not just being able to quote scripture, but like what has the church historically said about certain things? Because we have a lineage leading up to us. We are, we are a, a new kingdom of, of priests called in Christ. And so we have a heritage that is, as somebody has led us up to there. Uh, any people group on earth has always had a, a history, uh, a shared history, something leading up a heritage, a group of, of people that came before them that leads up to that group of people. As Christians, we do as well, even though we're not isolated by geography like most people groups have been over over time. We still have a heritage of Christian um, witness going down through the ages um, and knowing about that and who has suffered, who's suffered, who's persecu- been persecuted over time for us to be able to uh, have the gospel in front of us now. I think that's important, knowing about that. Uh, So a lot of historical study on the church has been very beneficial for myself uh, and cataloging that and developing kind of like a cataloged, curated content list in my computers definitely definitely helped so what brought you to rockport rockport's by the way where i met you yes yes so um let's see back before covid hit we were going to a church up in south county we were going to that one regularly we were members there and uh participated there preached a couple times there and uh when the covid thing hit it kind of shut down the church indefinitely and they ended up having to close the doors and not open back up so we started looking looking for a church locally um, in the area and i've been right around that time i was going through kind of a transition in my theological understanding like i was very uh midstream southern baptist and then like here over the last couple years i've been leaning more reformed more reformed theology more covenantalism more Calvinism, stuff like that. So I started looking for Reformed Baptist churches, and every every list on the internet I looked for, um, this website, that website, that website, there was maybe two or three in the area that were uh, professed Reformed. I know Rockport is a Southern Baptist church, but their teachings, their practice, their, their worship, everything is very Reformed. And so that's something I've been looking for um, here locally as a Reformed Baptist church something that is covenantal, something that is practices, um, you know, the five sole and so, and Rockport just kept coming up on everything that I would look for. And so I was like, well, let's go find it out. Well, comes to find out pastor, uh, Scott Lee is a retired teacher at the school I was going to. I, I graduated from MOBAP and, and then okay. so I started asking people there and 
he was always being recommended by my teachers. And hmm. I was like, well, you know, there's, there's the search that is, uh, I found it in the search. I found it at the people I talked to at, at school. You know, it's something that I'm looking for. So we ended up attending, we've been attending, uh, several Sundays for like the last year and just kind of feeling out doctrine, feeling out, is this, is this right? And is everything they, everything I've read so far is spot on. Everything I've heard is spot on. Uh, so I'm really, really liking it there. Cool. And my wife loves it. Um, I love it. The preaching's awesome. The worship's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when you've quoted a little bit of scripture here and there, are you quoting King James version? I don't actually use the King James. I okay. use uh, NASB. And really, okay. I mean, if you're doing a good study on a Bible, you probably should use multiple different versions. Okay. Um, and then find one. Usually people will find one. I'm not too strict on which Bible version. Okay. I like some better than others. Uh, I had a guest on um, just before you a couple, uh, two or three episodes back that was really into KJV. So I was just curious if. Yeah, anything. no. So I'm okay. not a King James only guy. Okay. Um, yeah. I. I do more. I'd say NASB. I like more of the the, the wooden literal okay. translations. Right. Um, sometimes some of those King Jimmy only guys they they lean into. They can sometimes make the King James Bible. Um, I would say, almost an idol. Some people worship like that's the only version of of the Bible that's approved. Right. You can only study that one. It's the only one that's right. And it's like, well, it, I'm pretty sure the Bible is written in. Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. So how do they have it right? And, you know, the, right. the English is still a translation, you know. Right. Some are a little bit better than others. And I also, it's my understanding, I believe that I think the King James also comes from a different uh, translation history. If there's right. kind of two different schools that, that most Bible translations came from, that one was different than a lot of the modern ones. Right. Um, yeah. I, that's something I'd want to study up on a little bit more. But sure. I know I know there is a, a distinction between those. A lot of the King James only guys are they're like, oh, we don't want any of those modern translation ones. And right, um, but no, I, I'd say NASB and RSV is yeah probably the ones I'd go to. By the way, I just I just put out an invitation here to you and anybody else. So just within walking distance, at this next to the post office at a building called the Harbor, a church will meets there on Sunday. On Monday nights, um, a group of men get together from all different churches and they go through a chapter of the bible together so we get there around 6 30 there's some chili we eat our soup or whatever we eat and then around seven we um just break up the chapter and each read a few verses until we've kind of read through it and then there's uh i think six discussion questions and they're the same every week and things like you know you know what stands out to you what does it tell us this chapter tell us about god what does it tell us about us couple more and then like you know what's the holy spirit saying to us you know and it's just a really good discussion and um anyway if you ever want to check it out you're right. welcome to so it's mondays 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 at 6 30 yeah okay mondays at 6 30 right next to the post office here in, in barnhart, barnhart. Okay. in barnhart yeah okay. um so if like a business wanted you know to kind of have your ministry involved in it somewhat is that what what they would do? You would work with them, or is it just kind of parallel to businesses? Like they would, um, you're kind of bringing people out of the business, and it's just businessmen meeting, and that's the connection. Or is it like um, 
you're helping a business start something within, you know, for discipleship making or something like that. So it's a little bit of both. I would say okay. um, sometimes when I tell people it's like a business uh, business ministry, they think that we are a ministry that does like business services and we, from a Christian perspective. Maybe like we help them with their accounting from a Christian perspective. Oh, I or see. Right. We do things like that or, a whole, hey, we help you build a business model or a business plan from a Christian perspective. It's nothing like that. We actually do um, – the idea is to get people who are searching for, you know, a purpose, a reason, you know, something, salvation, God, uh, and expose them to the gospel and disciple them in a one-on-one discipleship group. And then eventually they go back into their business and maybe they just did a sales call with somebody last week or they meet with a vendor every couple of weeks. Well, they'll invite him into one of our groups. So we do a breakfast every couple, couple, uh, about every six months, twice a year we do it. And, uh, We'll have a speaker come out and all of our guys attend. About 360 guys come out to St. Charles Convention Center twice a year for this event. And they'll hear about the ministry and hear about the people and how it's impacted their lives. Um, and then if they are interested, we'll pair them with somebody who's already went through the program. And then they go back in. It's, it's almost like spreading seeds inside of a business. And so every now and then we'll hit somebody who actually owns the business and they'll turn their conference room every, you know, at lunch at least once a week into a discipleship field and invite their coworkers and the people that work for them in for a Bible study. Uh, maybe the people that work in the same commercial building with them down the hall, they'll come into the Bible study. And it's basically discipleship within the business realm. Because our society today is telling you that's, something, that's a private issue. Your faith is something that you do on Sundays and you keep it home. You don't bring it into the workplace. We, uh, we cast that thought down. That's That's... I believe that our faith is supposed to be played out in every vector of our life. That includes work. That includes the workplace. Uh, if you're a business owner, I believe that you should be using your business as a ministry tool, um, as a field. Not just a field for discipleship, but a tool. Like the business itself should be somehow being used to serve the community, serve others. Um, not just in a sales aspect, but in a, uh, you know, maybe you... Uh, one of the biggest places I've seen that uh, practice is, so in the prison ministry side of my life, having guys come out, they need jobs. Mm-hmm. And then you guys got these guys that are owning businesses who are always looking for people to work. Why don't we pair the two together? And then you got a discipleship relationship there. Now you, you got a discipleship relationship, but you also are using your business as a tool to further service and, and helping the gospel. So, right. Um, yeah. So really we're, we're planting seeds in the workplace and hoping that the seed spreads in the workplace. And, uh, yeah, you know, so like when it comes to evangelism, I went through, um, like years and years ago, evangel- evangelism explosion yeah. and stuff. And, um, I don't feel good about that. Like I learned this way of presenting the gospel practice and, and then I would in my workplace, I would kind of think, well, who who's going to be my target? You know, right? <laughs> I'd invite them over and and I'd kind of corner them, and then you know, I just wanted to get all of this out. I've learned this thing. It took me about twenty minutes to get it all out, right? <laughs> and um, it almost felt like I was turning people into a project or something right. like that. And um, nowadays, um, I don't try to do anything intentionally like that at all. But I like to connect with people. A lot of it happens at the gym, in the sauna. We're just talking mm. there, sweating together. 
and I just try to be as honest as possible. And I enjoy it, and I'm not thinking I'm evangelizing, but it just naturally comes out right, because that's right. just what I'm about, you know. But I wonder if it would be better for me to be more intentional in some way um, because um, I don't know um, what they walk away with from our conversation. They, they find out what's important to me, um, and they find out that I have like an interest in them enough to ask them questions and stuff, but maybe that's about it. Do you have any thoughts about um, making the most of conversations like that? Um, like, should there be some intention or is it just making a friend and along the way, you know, just through love and concern, it's going to get across, you know? Right. So I, I would, I, I guess I would post that as kind of the, the comparison between a mechanical approach to evangelism and then a relational approach to evangelism. That's kind of the two yeah. uh, juxtaposed kind of concepts we got going on there. I do think that there does need to be some, I, I would lean towards relational with an agenda, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. Relational with an underlying agenda to be, um, to have that agenda, I guess, is what the word, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, intentional, you know, having an, an intentional right. purpose to share the gospel with them as it organically comes about in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I've never been able to do the mechanical approach. It makes me feel very weird mm-hmm. just to go out and, okay, I got this system of presenting the gospel. I'm going to throw it at you. It's going right. to be a hit or miss. Right. And it feels very forced, doesn't right. it? Yeah, and it just yeah. doesn't feel, it feels like, and if I wasn't in their shoes, I'd know, I'd know what was going on. Like, you're, right. you're pitching me right now. Right. <laughs> you right. don't really care. It'd, um, feel, it'd feel more honest to me say, hey, I learned this thing. It's about the gospel. It's important to me. Can I pitch it to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost like a sales pitch. You're trying to sell sale a, a free gift of salvation. It's kind of weird. Hmm. Um, it does help. Um to be able to build a relationship and, and become friends with people, that's not always an option. You don't always have that uh, that time with a person. Sometimes you never you see meet them once, you never see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think discernment and wisdom is is needed by our own like within us to kind of tell the difference mm-hmm. and know when to apply the mechanical approach and when to not apply it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's always there's always times like and just weird little things that come up in conversations between you and friends that you don't. Like you wouldn't think of, but in that moment, you can always flip that to a to a conversation about Christ or God or the gospel, mm-hmm. um, just situational and circumstantial. I can't even think of a, something off the top of my head right now, but um, you might be having a conversation with a person and something obviously that has something to do with a passage in scripture or a word or a phrase or something, and you can always try to grab that grab that moment and use that moment to... to to speak gospel truth into that that moment, so mm-hmm. being aware of those those sometimes those intentional um, moments will come up. But right. I agree with you. I'm more on the relational side. Mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable in that realm. Um, but comfort isn't always calling. You know, even even though it might be more comfortable, sometimes God does want want us to get out of our comfort zone and do stuff that um, doesn't seem like it'll work. It seems fruitless, just throwing a mechanical gospel approach out there to somebody that we might only meet one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just be faithful, like I said earlier. Be faithful mm-hmm. and share it, share the truth, and let God do whatever he does with it. 
um, whether that be a ongoing relationship or something that only happens in an instance with a person. Right. And, and like the primary, our primary concern or command from Jesus is to love one another. So I, I think love can kind of be a guide, um, whether it's like a mechanical type of thing or whatever, if we're doing it because we generally care about that person, we care about their soul. I mean, that's going to guide us to what's going to be best. And, um, we'll probably feel better, um, about it afterwards rather than we did our religious duty and got some guilt off of our right. chest or something like yeah, that. You know? Yeah. Almost like a check by, yep, shared right. the gospel today, but sh- right. you know, mark it off, but genuinely caring about somebody. And there's no, no better way to show, show love for somebody than to tell them that their soul has been saved. If they place faith in Christ, um, the ultimate act of God's love was on the cross. It's not just this general emotional feeling like, Oh God loves you. It's like, well, how do you know? He's, he died on the cross. Like, that is the ultimate sign of it, and we need to share that. That is the ultimate sharing of love for somebody is sharing the gospel. Um, so that kind of, like, rubs up against Calvinism a little bit, maybe. Um, and I'm not, like, real set on Calvinism. Like, I don't identify with that label, but um, but still, I'm pretty influenced by it yeah and like so sometimes i i just wonder is that the right message because of tulip the middle one right a limited atonement like so can we say you know jesus jesus shown this love to you he died for you and so forth um if we don't know if he they're one of the elect so to speak <laughs> is that right. a, a conflict there or is it not <laughs> um, I, I would see that more as a motivator than okay. than a conflict. So I would say that I lean pretty hard Calvinist, Calvinistic, um, and the doctrine of the elect and all that good stuff. Yeah. And whether whether or not we know that that person is saved or not, we are guaranteed that there are some out there that are. Right. I, I think of it almost as like uh, I think back to like being a kid at church or with family and stuff. East, Easter egg hunting, right? We don't. Some of them were plastic. I remember being kids. Some of them were plastic. Some of them had money in them. Some of them didn't. We're we're guaranteed that there's some out there that are that are. Right, but that's not quite my question. So, but to to word it as Jesus died for you, um, but did he? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like is that the way to word it, or should? You know, I, I hear people get kind of complex and tricky with the yeah. wording, like <laughs> Jesus died for you if you receive him or something like right. that, just okay. to make it. <laughs> so the technical wording is what we're talking about. Um, yeah, we can, I guess you could word it better, um, maybe hone in hone in the message uh, of repentance and faith, I guess. Maybe didn't die for him, but you have to, you know, there's still onus. There's some, some sort of burden on you still to, to repent and believe. But at the same time, even that faith and repentance is granted to you by God. Right. Um, and Jesus' death is available to you. Like it's, if you repent, I mean, it's yours. There's no one blocking you off from right. it, so, so to speak. Right. And the church has argued about that, uh, that, con- that seeming conflict there for centuries. And uh, I, I still don't think we're going to come to a, a resolution of it. It's one of those things that the ways in the mind of God are way higher than our ways and we might not understand how the two um man's moral responsibility to repent and believe 
works with God's sovereign election and choosing people to repent and believe. Um, That's what I was saying earlier, being able to study the historical, everything that the historical tradition, the history behind all of the church's theological debates over time, it it'll really kind of influence the way we see certain certain doctrines like that. So being aware of how has the church talked about these things over centuries past is a good thing for us Christians to be able to look back on and read. Um, because no no time I don't think in history has the church ever been settled on that. How do the two, you know? Arminianism and Calvinism, how do they work together? Or do they? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so here, maybe wrapping up in just a bit with another question, but first of all, is there anything that you want to ask me or any topic you want to bring up, um, something that's important to you for us to talk about? Um, yeah, actually, let's let's go back to the Rockport thing. Okay. Um, just because that's kind of one of the big things that are, is on, we haven't joined the church yet, right? So we haven't officially joined. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't even participated in communion. Yet. I know it's it's an open communion church. They, as long as you're a Christian uh, and you have a believable confession in Christ, they're, they're open for communion and stuff every week when we do it. But me and my wife hold back from it just as a, pra- a family practice, just until we join a church and we know that that's a ch- church that we want to join with. Uh, we're not going to take the Lord's Supper with that group until we're sure like, Hey, we belong here. Okay. Um, what same question you asked me, like what, what led you to Rockport? I was at a different church and well, going way, way back. I've been to Rockport for a long time, about 20 years, I guess. Um, I was listening to a radio show of, that came out of Twin Oaks Presbyterian mm. and, um, it was a call in show and, um, the pastor said uh, it was something about the uh, rapture before the tribulation and um, the pastor said something like well that's not anywhere in the Bible and I I thought what? That's all I knew you know and I just that was in the back of my mind and then later when I was looking at the Bible I would just kind of flip I think it's here and then I'd no and then I'd flip later I think it's here and then I became convinced over time that a rapture before the tribulation, you know, was not in the Bible. And um, I tried to convince other people and um, didn't convince anybody. But um, I uh, I kind of grew um, dissatisfied with dispensationalism. Okay. And so, like, I didn't know much about covenant view of theology right. and so forth, but just the name covenant, you know, one covenant or God— just that enough appealed to me, you know. It sounds very biblical, doesn't it? It's because it is. <laughs> Covenantalism, right. And then I read a book called uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon and Fee, I think. Right. And um, it caused me to be more discerning. And I wanted to, to go to a church that um, took the Bible more seriously than just using a text as a jumping-off point to preach whatever, you know, the, the speaker wanted to preach, right. you know. I wanted the so I had an impression of Calvinists as being pretty serious about the Bible. So I wasn't necessarily into Calvinism at that point, um, but I started looking for a Calvinistic church, and um, that eventually led me to Rockport, and been there for a pretty good while. Right. And um, lately, I've there's the harbor down here. I mentioned the, that building's used on Mondays, but. Um, there's a church that meets there too, and uh, it's within walking distance. So I've been just visiting with them, getting to know them. I just thought, I'm kind of 
more lately um, been thinking about, you know, um, it's imp- the idea of meeting with Christians based on ge- uh, geographic, you know, who's close to you appeals to me because um, Paul seems to talk about like toward, the, maybe it's Romans 14, about, you know, accommodating people who choose to eat or don't eat or choose to observe this day or not, you know. And when we travel to uh, meet with people who think just the same way we do, it's like we can't exercise that, um, that how do we get along with other people who think differently? Right. And that can be challenging to us, and we could be challenging to them, but um, that's just... Um, so anyway, so I'm still at Rockport, but I'm getting to know this group and I try to get to, you know, know neighbors who are Lutheran or whatever. There's a little group. Um, we had a Catholic guy come to it, you know, a little discipleship group and and stuff like that. But anyway, Rockport's right. a good church. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned that because that that's kind of over the last couple of years since our old church shut down. I've been going through this the shaking of theology of, of what my understanding are on certain doctrines. Eschatology was one of them. Mm-hmm. And my whole venture from pre-trib, pre-mill Baptist belief to more of a reformed uh, covenantal, you know, Calvinistic approach has been all happening these last couple of years. And that's kind of what led me to look for, for Rockport. And I've been reading some more about amillennialism and optimistic amill and uh, come to see that the rapture can very easily be read into the Bible where it's not. I believe in that there, 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 there are uh, hints of a, a sort of rapture, but not a pre-trib rapture, I don't believe. Uh, and that's one of those fields of doctrines and systematic theology that I'm not completely set on my own views as eschatology, but I know that there's, I'm starting to lean more Calvinistic reformed, and that's one of the things that kind of drew me to, to Rockport, like you were saying, and, and away from the contemporary mainstream uh, left behind approach to it. So is that still kind of like the mainstream? I've been away from it so long. You know, I I would yeah. say pre, yeah, I would say pre premillennialism is probably the the more a more popular belief to it. I okay. guess uh, and I don't want to speak too deeply onto it because, like I said, this is kind of a new. It's kind of one of those new ventures that I'm one of my deeper focuses that I'm kind of reading up on and building my own personal library on. What what does pre mill mean? What is optimistic a mill? What is post millennialism? What is all this? You know, yeah. is there an actual millennium? Uh, right. How all that works, and uh, you know, if this is true, then what does that mean for the nation of Israel now? And how does Israel in the modern times play into it? And you know, there's a there's a tension between what what view you have on that and your 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 eschatology and uh, current events are a big one. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of share a little bit of that trip to Rockport with you. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else. If you had to go back to one in, one point in time in the history, at any point, when would it be? And it can't be whenever Jesus was alive. <laughs> can't be when Jesus was alive. Just any point in history? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm probably living in a pretty good time right now. <laughs> I know that's a boring answer. 
Um, but you mean just to visit, I suppose, right? Or just to, yeah, just get a feel for just how it was going on or what, what was the faith like then. It doesn't even have to be anything that was exposed to Christianity. Right. But anytime. Well, you know, um, like I relate to Paul pretty well. I feel like it because he's a Hellenistic thinker, you know, um, like and we're influenced, the Western society's influenced by the Greeks and Romans and so forth. Right. And um, But when I read Genesis and um, the Old Testament, I think, you know, these people probably thought a lot different than, oh, yeah. than yeah. me. And it might be interesting to go back and just try to absorb that mindset and understand how people, what was important to people. Because we ask scientific questions and we ask, um, you know, how do things work? And they may like not even care about that at all. Maybe right. they just want to know, you know, uh, their role in life or how to function or, you know, right. different things all together. And their, and their literature might reflect that. Um, so I guess I would go to like, some pre-flood stuff, <laughs> that would be a great time. Yeah, or, or the time that, um, like Genesis was um, written, um, and uh, so that would be post-flood. Yeah. But it would be yeah, post-flood written. the way that um, it would help me to understand how did the contemporaries who first received right. the text, how did what did they, how did they use it? What you know, what were they? Stuff like that. Right. You know? What was going on in their minds? How was right. life? You know, what what, what worldview did you have at that time, and how right. is it different than now? Yeah, yeah that'd be interesting. I, I always think that I'd like to go back to like medieval Europe. Oh yeah, um, medieval Europe, or sometime during the Reformation, um, or live with the Puritans when they were coming over to America. That'd be probably what I would choose. Yeah, just because just to experience like Christianity in that social like you know i guess societal structures that it had installed uh set up in europe would be cool right so okay well here's one just one other thought um what's god doing in your life or what are you hoping god's doing in your life like what are you praying for what direction are you you know you go hoping to wanting to go in right now as far as life goes so Moving forward, I think, I guess, the main main realms of focus that I uh, see God working and hoping that he work is going to be in my family with the new kid. Mm-hmm. Um, we did just, we're making a decision now to, I guess, homeschool when she gets old enough mm-hmm. to homeschool. I mean, she's yeah. still really young. We're not even worried about that yet. But uh, we are going to try to go to the homeschool route and live a more, more traditional-based life. Um, you know, so a lot of people in society will look at that as sexist almost. My wife is going to stay home and, and, mm-hmm. and stay at the house and take care of the house, kind of like the Bible says to do, um, and, and raise the child. We're going to homeschool there. So trying to almost, I don't want to say pulling out of the world, but disconnecting from a lot of the structures, the school structure. We're going to start you know, making our own food, uh, looking towards possibly doing a homestead in the future mm-hmm. and being able to be a self-sufficient family. So that's more of a family and cultural I guess one direction that I see our, our family going here future and as far as ministry goes would be in the realm of prison ministry and uh, possibly starting 
my own initiative with a couple other friends and stuff that do, I do, do prison ministry with. Cause right now I volunteer with a group that's already doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of small scale. Uh, it ain't too big, but maybe growing that a little bit more and, uh, you know, eventually hopefully making that a full-time job. So prison ministry and more traditional home life. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of where we're, where we're aiming. Maybe move out of the city too. I'm trying to get out of the city. Oh yeah. So yeah. That's where the people are. Well, not out in the woods. That's not where I'm trying to go, but, uh, out of the, I mean, I live downtown, like not downtown, but in the city. So, uh, moved up here when I was working at the old prison ministry, their houses and stuff for the guys getting out were up here in South city. And then I also went to school. So being up here in St. Louis, I went to Mobap out there in Creve Corps. So being up here was good. Uh, we're done with that now, so I can kind of start. You know, can't homestead in the city <laughs> very yeah. well anyway. There's actually people who do it, but yeah, there's some. Um, um, I went to a pl- I was couch surfing in Kansas City and couch surfed with a group called Jerusalem Farms. They're yeah. right smack dab in the inner city. Yeah, and it they just have a big city lot and they farm and and um, they minister to their neighborhood with building projects and stuff like that yeah. it's a catholic organization and groups come in and they lead them in projects and stuff like that right yeah um, i wouldn't i wouldn't mind coming out of this area so I, I i grew up a lot out in jefferson county and went to Seckman out here okay and uh so i'm familiar i used to live in imperial so i'm familiar okay. with this area and i really like jeffco so yeah i wouldn't mind heading out this way sometimes so and that's that's another reason that we haven't actually joined the church yet. And we over the last couple of years, we've had a problem figuring out where we're going to go, mm-hmm. is because we don't know if we're moving. You know, okay. it, it was kind of understood that once school and everything was done in the city, that we were going to be leaving. So we don't want to have to join a church. And then what happens if we don't move to Arnold or Jefferson County and we move somewhere else? Have to start the process all over again. Right. So um, that's an excuse anyway. <laughs> you know, we always find excuses, but uh, yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, well, glad you're there. I mean, yeah, even, you know, like whether you're an official member or not, you know, hope that right. you can be a part of the family and enjoy yeah, that. I do, so I do enjoy it, and yeah. chances are it'll probably happen in the next month or a couple months or so. Yeah. See if I can't meet with uh, Pastor Scott Lee and kind of talk about him, the prospects of that and how that works. So, Was there anything you want to leave people with as for, like, do you— blog or have a website or anything that you want um to you know mention here at the end i per i do not i don't have one um personally it's been one of those things i I just don't know how to start one i guess i've never really had it on my mind to do it so there's some logistical and learning curve things behind it that i'd have to learn but it would definitely be something that i would be interested in um you know, other than LegacyBuilders.Faith is the place that I work for. Okay. So if they um, want to contact you or get more involved in your ministry, they can uh, contact yeah, the you. Yeah, business ministry, that. you go LegacyBuilders.Faith, uh, and that's that's the place that I work for. So, okay. And they can put you in touch with the executive director and point you in that direction. Okay. Um, and that's really about it. Okay. Well, thanks, Will. I appreciate it. I really it, appreciate man. it. Definitely.